Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. And so the HCAA, you know, then NPDA decided we want to create standards. So some of the standards are you must have a care plan. You must oversee care and supervise. So if you really look at the labor laws today, uh, you really, if you want to really have um, uh, the distinction between what an employee is versus an independent contractor, if you supervise someone and direct the, their, where they're going every day to Mrs. Jones's house, uh, you really can't call them independent contractors. So we've been kind of, this has been a kind of an ongoing fight. Welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast and the first episode of 2020. In today's episode, I sat down with the executive director of the Home Care Association of America, Phil Bongiorno, or should I say the former executive director. We sat down with Phil in his last week before he headed on to other pastures, and Phil gave us some highlights of what was happening in the home care industry, with a special focus on legislation and helping healthcare professionals understand the difference between different types of home care, including families directly hiring, and the benefits of hiring a licensed home care organization. Phil spent five and a half years with the Home Care Association of America and gives us some promising news, including some legislation that might allow us to use health savings accounts to pay for home care in the future. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you do, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. something about you that might surprise the audience, maybe something outside of healthcare. Oh, sure. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I uh, actually, I'm a runner and uh, I've been running my whole life and, uh, and, and got into long distance, long distance running a few years ago. So I've, I've run about, uh, this will be my 20th uh, marathon. Uh, so, yeah. 20 marathons. How often are you doing these marathons? Well, now it's been uh, probably once a year. <laughs> it's mostly the, um, uh, the um, Marine Corps Marathon is, it's, I'm based in Washington, D.C., and so uh, that was my first marathon. I fell in love with it, so I've run pretty much 19 of those, and I won, ran one other marathon called the Pittsburgh Marathon. That's where I'm from originally, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Ah, nice. My colleague Joe, who co-hosts some of the shows, uh, is from Pittsburgh. I know we'll be talking with him a little later off off the air. That's cool. Cool. Do so you Steelers fan? Of course. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough, tough year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're recording this show um, in the early fall, so week three of the NFL season just ended. So by the time this episode is released, who knows? Maybe it's celebrating. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. We're, we have hope. <laughs> so uh, marathons, what's your, so 26.2 miles. What's, right. What's kind of your target time or maybe PR? Uh, uh, now that I'm an older guy, it's, it's, uh, my, well, my best has been about 320, which is not a bad. Uh, that was in my younger years. Now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm targeting for the four-hour mark so i'm back in the pack a little bit okay so four hour mark is like a nine minute mile yeah roughly yeah that's nine or ten man. yeah well it's 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 good it's running yeah i shoot man i run three miles in 30 minutes and i'm excited that's like a sprint I'm like, <laughs> if i can pull that off that's amazing uh great phil cool and so you grew up in pittsburgh when you were growing up did you think man i want to be a leader of a home care uh, organization <laughs> no not really it was uh, actually um wow when i was younger uh, i was going to be a steel worker and then then uh that, then the uh, imports and the, the U.S. steel market just got hit a dive uh, about the time when I was in high school, and then I realized I have to go to college, and, and, and that's when I started thinking about other things. Yeah. Okay, where'd you end up going to school? 
I went to a school called Indiana University of PA. It's a, it's a state college in, in Pennsylvania, one of the largest state colleges in Pennsylvania, part of their state uh, uh, college system. Interesting, but it's called... It's, it's in Indiana, Pennsylvania. That's the name of the town. Oh. There's also another school called California University of Pennsylvania. One of my sisters uh, actually graduated from there. So there's a California, Pennsylvania, and an Indiana, Pennsylvania. They both have colleges there. So it's kind of confusing. Wow, that is definitely confusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so you went to school, and what did you study there? Uh, political science. So okay. that's um, I'm in I'm in the uh, yeah I've always wanted to be involved in uh, politics and, uh, and advocacy. So that's that's been something I've wanted to do from a very young age. Sure. Nice. You ever yeah. have a debate club or anything like that? Uh, nothing like that, but uh, I certainly got involved in a lot of uh, work uh, at the school. I did an internship at a trade association, the Pennsylvania Food Merchants Association. It's got a lot of experience on on how the inner workings of a lobbying shop works uh, at a state level. Uh, actually, you know, just had a great experience there. Okay, awesome. So tell us about your journey and how you ended up uh, here at our Home Care Association of America. Well, you know, going back to my younger years, as I was mentioned, my interest in politics started when I was a very young uh, child. My, my uncle actually served as the Speaker of the House in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. So at a very young age, I was, uh, there's a story, uh, I was a young uh, boy, I was probably, uh, probably old enough to walk or maybe a, 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 maybe a little older than kindergarten or first grade, and I was handing out pamphlets at the polls. And so one poll worker came out and said, hey, who's this kid? He said, hey, don't, don't bother him, he's the speaker's uh, nephew, right? So, so I was actually helping campaign at a very young age. So, and later on, actually, my, my uncle's, my cousin, uh, ran for the state legislature uh, in, in Philadelphia and I helped her with her race, so it's kind of interesting. But, but getting into healthcare, um, just after uh, college, um, so my father died at an early age, uh, prematurely. He had, exposed, he had a, in, uh, exposure to asbest, asbestos, and and just that the whole his whole healthcare experience, and you know what he went through. He died of lung, lung cancer. And it just got me thinking about, you know, what was important in life at that point. So I, that was right around my um, junior year in college. And then so I graduated and went right into working. So my first job out of college was working for uh, disabled veterans. And I actually helped. Uh, I was part of getting the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. That's how long I've been around. So Wow, that is awesome. Yeah. I have uh, close family members who benefit from veterans' benefits and things like that. So... Uh, my dad, my brothers, all military guys, all veterans. So yeah. awesome to hear. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So you helped with the veterans, and then how did you end up at the Home Care Association of America? So I eventually made it down to Washington D.C. and and was working primarily in in healthcare uh, advocacy my whole career, working for mostly uh, professional groups, physician groups, that sort of thing, and then. Uh, when uh, the, the opportunity came, uh, the, the HCOA, uh, Home Care Association of America, their board decided to, they were based in Indianapolis, Indiana for many years, and they decided to move the uh, office to Washington, D.C. because they really had a focus on advocacy and uh, at the national level, but also at the state level. And uh, they, uh, they decided to move the office, and I, was, I heard about the position and applied and interviewed, and here I am. So... Okay, awesome. So when did you start at HCAOA? It was January of 2014, so I'd been there for uh, five years. Okay. Five and a half years now. Okay, and at the time, how long, when you started with HCAOA, Home Care Association of America, how long had the organization been around? It's, it's been around about, uh, to date, it's been around about 18 years. Okay. So it's been about, it was about 14 years or 13 years at the time. Okay. So maybe talk about your time at the Home Care Association of America, but actually before doing that, 
Uh, some of our listeners, while most of them are healthcare professionals, maybe can you give a quick overview of what is the Home Care Association of America? Oh, sure, sure. So uh, the Home Care Association of America represents mostly what's considered uh, personal care home care providers. We have about 3,000 members around the country. Uh, they're doing, uh, they're supporting seniors with activities of daily living. So whether it's uh, supporting, um, you know, just providing basic uh, companion uh, services, companionship services to uh, making sure that they're uh, getting the right meals, taking their medications, making sure that they are um, uh, getting, getting in and out of, uh, transferring in and out of bed appropriately, uh, personal hygiene, all, all those types of uh, duties that uh, our folks uh, uh, do. Okay, great. So it's different than home health. For the listeners out right. there, when you guys hear Home Care Association of America, oftentimes non what's often referred to as non-medical home care is lumped in with home health under the quote-unquote home care umbrella. But when we use the term home care today, we're going to be talking about the non-medical home care services, which are typically uh, assisting adults typically an older adult with activities of daily living. So again, we're not talking about home health today, which is typically reimbursed by Medicare or insurance, but we're talking about non-medical home care. So again, home care today is non-medical home care. So Phil, do you guys represent any type of entity that provides that non-medical service or, or are you representing, you know, uh, certain criteria. Sure, thank. That's a great question because it's very important. We actually, the HCAA actually started. So, just a little history as the National Private Duty Association. So, folks out there that are listening to this that have been around a while may know the organization. They changed their name probably a year before I started. So, it's been around. So, they ba basically are trying to brand home care. And as Gavin mentioned, the differences between home care and home health. So that's the brand. It's home care. There's, there's a distinction there. The other distinction is they started actually concerned with uh, a different model that's out there where a lot of uh, placement agencies were placing independent contractors in the home. So it really, if you look at, uh, and there was a concern there because it was substandard care. And a lot of these uh, entities that are out there were uh, actually giving the other industry members a bad name because they would be lumped in with, you know, often these stories of, of poor care. And so the HCAA, you know, then NPDA decided we want to create standards. So some of the standards are you must have a care plan, you must oversee care and supervise. So if you really look at the labor laws today, uh, you really, if you want to really have um, uh, the distinction between what an employee is versus an independent contractor, if you supervise someone and direct the, their, where they're going every day to Mrs. Jones's house, uh, you really can't call them independent contractors. So we've been kind of, this has been a kind of an ongoing fight. It's really under the, uh, under the realm of worker misclassification. So we can get into talking a little bit more about that if there's any interest. Yeah, definitely. So really quickly for the listeners out there, many of them are healthcare professionals. Some are actually consumer. Well, I guess we're all consumers of healthcare, right? Um, the key is, uh, so we're recording today in El Segundo, California. Phil's organization represents the, na the entire nation. Um, I know here in California, it's pretty much impossible for a caregiver to technically be an independent contractor because they're receiving some type of direction. Um, someone's managing them, typically, um, and they have to report at certain times. They're not necessarily making their own schedule. So while these DRAs or direct referral agencies might say they, the direct referral agency doesn't employ the caregiver. 
and therefore the carrier is an independent contractor of the DRA. Well, when their independent contractor goes to that family's home, that family, to my knowledge, is therefore the employer. Right. Is that fair to say? That's right. That's right. And unfortunately, it's not getting enforced. And, and, pro and oftentimes, workers are not protected. And really, the family doesn't all, often know what their responsibilities are. That's the concern, too. What happens when that worker may get hurt assisting... Uh, the loved one, or what if the loved one is hurt themselves, the, the care recipient, and, and they don't have any kind of protection, and it's really a concern. So, and uh, I think that's the really the, um, the the concern here is that with with the, uh, the the quality of the care. Definitely. So, uh, for the healthcare professionals out there that are listening, that might refer families um, in the U.S., what is like nationally? What's like the average cost of home care? I know it varies state to state. Right, Maybe it can be range. anywhere from twenty to twenty-six dollars an hour. I would say, um, roughly, it could, it could be more depending on your market. Yes, yeah, so like Northern California, for example, might be in the thirties. Right, it might even be higher. Right here yeah. in California, exactly. Yeah, but nationally, twenty twenty-six right. is kind of the this, the average. So if if for the listeners out there, Phil, if they're hearing like eighteen, nineteen dollars an hour, let's say in a higher income state, or sixteen dollars an hour, what if you were a case manager, let's say, and you heard that, what should you think? I would be very skeptical. I would want to make sure, and, and we actually have a program that actually helps uh, referral sources and families. Uh, it's called the Safe Home Care Initiative. It's, you can go to safehomecare.org and learn a lot about the differences between these two models. And we actually have had case managers that have had this experience and they're telling their stories about the differences and, and really not understanding like cheaper care. They think, oh, the Smith family, they really can't afford anything higher. Well, they understand perhaps that you get what you pay for and you may be in an independent contracting situation where the family doesn't always understand there's other costs. Uh, outside of that independent contractor. So that's really the concern we raise uh, out there. Definitely. Uh, my day job is in home care. And uh, I always tell families, well, they say, well, this other organization um, is cheaper. And sometimes they do apples to apples. They think it's an apples to apples comparison. And if I'm comfortable with a family and have built some rapport where I feel they trust me, I'll challenge them. And I'll say, do you want a cheap doctor? for your mom. Right. Do you want the best doctor for your mom or the cheapest doctor right. for your mom? And every time they will say the best. They're willing to pay, you know, if they're paying cash to see a doctor or a higher copay, they're willing to do that for the doctor. But for some reason when they think a caregiver who's in the home sometimes 24 hours a day, they want the cheap one. Right. That, that's interesting to me. Right. Well, it's just like the commercials out there. Okay is just not okay, right? I think it's AT&T or something is running these commercials. Exactly. And I think that's where the association comes in. We try to show that any member of our association is following specific standards. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a care plan, all these other standards that are really sh uh, sets a difference. And, and quite frankly, so it, the price will be a little higher. And because they are covering all of those things for the family, it's a one-stop shop. Awesome, Phil. Well, let's get into more of what the Home Care Association of America uh, has done and is doing here in the near future. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. All right, folks. Welcome back from the break. 
So uh, before the break, we were talking about the history of HCOA. We've differentiated who they represent versus uh, what they don't represent, which is typically the employer model versus the uh, referral agency model. So let's jump into your passion. Uh, you went to school for political science, and uh, a big thing for you, Phil, is advocating for the industry. So can you share a little bit about your advocacy work and maybe some success stories uh, through your five and a half years or even beforehand? And maybe some upcoming challenges you face, and maybe even some disappointments you've seen in your time. Sure, sure. So thanks. And, and I think uh, just talking about the previous topic of uh, independent contracting, we actually have a bill that was passed in the state of Georgia that actually uh, will require, require uh, in order to get a state license for home care, that you are uh, W-2, you have to do it W-2 uh, caregivers. So that's actually been passed in Georgia. That was a great success. We're trying to model that across the country. Uh, and, and see how that works. Uh, also, we, we do support licensure. Uh, it's, it's funny, uh, in every state you need a license to catch a trout, but you don't need a license necessarily to give a senior a bath. And that there's something, I think, wrong with that. And I think most people in the audience will agree with that. So we, we're working on making sure there's standards in every state to, for licensure in particular. Yeah, are there a few states uh, you have in mind that maybe recently became licensed that you're excited about? In yeah, year? well, and we're, we're pushing state licensure. Like state, you'll be surprised. States like Ohio and Michigan do not have licensure, and we were, we've just set up uh, chapters in, the, in those states, uh, and they're, they're, they're now pursuing uh, licensure in those states. So there's a couple that we're moving. I can't think of anyone more recently. California's one, which has worked great. Uh, I think that it's important. There's There's been a lot of great things that came out of the California the licensure. Uh, there's also some things that are not so great, but uh, since the licensure bill passed, but uh, I think we're, we're uh, in pretty good shape. We just have to get more states to, uh, to understand that licensure is important. Okay. What are some other things you guys are working on today? So just a lot of the things are really, it's to the best interest of the, of the client, you know, the, the people we serve. Uh, and, and for example, uh, and, and trying to keep costs uh, affordable. Uh, for example, we just, um, in, in the city of Chicago, there, you may be hearing these, uh, your audience may be hearing things about what's called predictive scheduling, where employers often retail and restaurant uh, uh, owners are requiring uh, uh, to have an advanced schedule. And if they vary from that advanced schedule, two week in advanced schedule, if they vary from that, they still would have to pay that shift. Well, in home care, it's just impossible to do that. Uh, you know, our members, uh, anything can happen as every, the folks in your audience know, uh, if something, if a client, something happens where they, you know, were not available at home, whether they were uh, admitted to the hospital or something else happened to them, it's just impossible to be able to stick to a, a, a schedule like that. So we actually were able to get a um, kind of a safe harbor carve out in the city of Chicago uh, to protect home care companies who were included in that. And other health care providers actually were included that. We worked with a coalition there. So that's, that was one thing. The other thing in uh, the city and state of New York, uh, also very similar, um, was a predictive scheduling state um, uh, uh, regulation that was uh, was. Uh, proposed and they got you know from our members and from all across the state you know hundreds of thousands of comments that this is a terrible idea and so that, that we backed that off in, in New York State so those are the, that, that particular issue uh, licensure uh, the other issues relative to um, uh, the idea of making sure you're referring to 
licensed home care. We, we call that the duh legislation in, <laughs> in, in, in Illinois, for example. Uh, they passed a bill, which we, we know we supported, of course, but it basically said that any hospital that's licensed or receiving um, uh, funds from the state of Illinois will have to uh, refer to licensed home care companies. You would think that was happening, yeah. but if you have folks in Illinois listening, uh, you know, that's actually, we had to pass a law to make sure that's happening. So we're actually, we're trying to replicate that law as well across the country. Yeah. So I know that that's awesome. I never heard of that one. Is that the first state that that's happened? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, we generally with, you know, I mean, you, you would hope that hospital discharge planners and others that are in the field are going to be going to license and they understand that you, that whoever they're referring to is licensed. Yeah. And I guess more education that we have to do, quite frankly. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of our listeners are in the southwest part of the U.S. And for those of you that are that listen that are not, I'm, I know you're out there too. Um, but I know one of the concerns of case managers is price, right? So I know here in California, I'm thinking of one medical center in particular um, that I've had the privilege of working with and still do today, that they refer to a non-licensed organization, it's not a licensed home care organization, because of price. Um, but that's all. They don't inform the family about anything else. So That's right. Yeah. So I think it's a kind of one of the old sayings, penny wise and pound foolish. Um, you can learn a lot from Ben Franklin, you know. Uh, uh, so I, I think uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a matter of, okay, you, you spend, have the family spend, that little money and refer because it's cheaper, but the hospital may want to be concerned that that inefficient care, that inadequate care, causes a readmission within 30, 60, 90 days, and guess what? That That's another readmission that they have to deal with, yeah. and it costs them more money for, for them to the hospital itself. And obviously, we know that um, the hospitals do have an incentive to make sure that their readmission rates are lower. Uh, than the the average because that actually hits their um, you know direct uh, uh, their pocketbook on, on reimbursements. Yeah, definitely. So you talked about some success stories that you guys have had in different states recently. What about some things that maybe you've been disappointed with or um, bummed out that you guys weren't able to successfully push through? What well, has to do with I think protecting caregivers and the whole worker issues. Uh, recently in California uh, and, and really privacy issues for caregivers. The organized labor has uh, really got a bill passed in California that would, uh, under the state licensure law, which I, I mentioned earlier, we were very supportive of the fact that there is a registry set up that is kept private, but it actually helps. Uh, uh, it's, it's something that our member companies are able to uh, put a caregiver in that registry to make sure they're qualified. In California, you're required to fingerprint and other background checks and all of that. So you now have a registry that, again, is protected. It was protected uh, for just families and companies to be aware of. And just to clarify for the audience, uh, when Phil is saying registry, it's basically like a database. So we're not talking about like a home care registry, right. which sends out in, you know non-employed caregivers. We're actually talking about a database right. with the state where home care aides are registered with the state. So just wanted to clarify that. Right. Thank, thanks for that clarification yeah. because I've had to explain that too because there's some registries, obviously the domestic referral agencies we often call registries yeah. that we some, certainly don't support, but there are in some cases like in the state of California where you had a, a registry a database that of, of these caregivers that actually were protected. Well, a bill was recently passed in California that actually will open that data to 
to unions, and basically they have access to uh, those caregivers. They not just you know any old information; it's their direct cell phone numbers and other personal information. Unless they, they there is an opt out opportunity, but unless they opt out, they'll be put uh, on, on this list that, that unions can get. And it really, it's it's a workaround that the organized labor is doing to try to get to organize. Uh, home care uh, employees around around the state. Got it. Thanks for sharing that, Phil. So we've heard a lot of the term disruptors. Um, I think I think in all industries nowadays, that's like a big buzzword. Some people just shake their head when they hear it now. It's been used so often or revolutionize the industry, right? I have to admit, I used to say that a lot in my organization. But I disruptors of the home care. What does that mean? Have they been successful? Right. So. You know, I, I think, well, I know that there was at least one company that came in and basically was considered a disruptor, but they left rather quickly because they realized, I think there was an online uh, po- um, uh, blog that basically said, uh, the, the owner, when they left the, the industry, they basically said, well, if I have to pay payroll taxes and everything else for a worker, then I just can't compete. And plus, they also realized that the community-based home care company that all of our members represent out there uh, are just uh, really very competitive and, and able to uh, be successful in, in, in being in the community and really supporting an employer model that they just couldn't compete with. So you had these what quote unquote disruptors, air quotes, uh, disruptors that came into the industry that basically saying we have all these bells and whistles, we'll match people up. Well, there's more to it than that, than that type of technology. We understand that technology is out there, but there's more to it than just matching people up. You have to make sure your caregivers are trained and having some accountability to that. They just, I don't think, have been able to do that and be able to verify that. If you really look at the small print on some of these, what I call online registries, yeah. uh, on online disruptors, I, I encourage every one of your uh, listeners to read the small print, the terms of use, they basically disavow any responsibility of the caregiver uh, that, they, that, that they're matching, quote-unquote, matching up with the family. And, and it's, it, it was an eye-opener for me. To, and it's right on their front page. The very small, very, go down to the very small print, you'll read, uh, we, we take no responsibility for this care, which is kind of, you know, to me, for someone who's representing themselves as a care provider, would be, never be something one of our members would ever be able to do. Yeah, and there's definitely some um, large organizations that have uh, partnered with some of these online organizations, even for like maybe healthcare benefits, like as part of the, right. you know. And so if I work, if, if I'm an adult child, well, I guess I am, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, let's say my grandmother needed care, and I have this benefit from one of these online companies, right? like a you know, $100 benefit to use towards this online platform. And let's say the caregiver cost it says, oh, she, I have to pay her 20 bucks an hour. So $100, $20 an hour, it's five hours. So I can hire her for five hours for my grandmother as a, a benefit of the, my employer. Right. Is it really $100 or am I going to be hit with something else after? Well, you, you become, that's, that's, the, that's the, the question. I think a lot of companies that are offering this benefit really need to understand the, the arrangement they're getting into with these online companies, quite frankly. Uh, in, in you know what happens with the employee that has this benefit 
and that caregiver comes into their home, what kind of arrangement is that? And so, you know, are you know, are you protecting the employee, the caregiver that's coming in? Are you protecting the the um, the employee that's getting this quote unquote benefit? It's really, you know, it's it's going getting into an area that's you know where you know legally, you know, that employee could be an employer of of that caregiver, and 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 so that's that's the concern that the, and there's no real, you know, what are the protections? How is that caregiver trained? What are all the things that go with the standards of providing care? So what's happening? It's it's really um, I I don't like using this word, but it's kind of um, uh, minimizing uh, what home care services are to make it look like it's just somebody coming in and running errands for the per, for the senior. That's it's so, so more to it uh, that our that our caregivers do for for our clients every day. Okay. So these these online organizations, these disruptors, do you see or what would you say who's going to be successful? Are there any current disruptors out there? You don't have to name them, but is there anything happening that's oh wow, this is going to disrupt the industry and be successful? Or do you feel the industry already has what it takes to be successful. Well, you know, I think technology, I mean, if you're talking about applying technology, no, we're all for that. We actually, um, under our new strategic plan, the organization has created a, a technology committee to really look at, you know, what are, what are some of the technologies out in the field that can be, uh, can enhance uh, providing home care services. So, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, I, again, the whole idea of calling it a disruptor, I think a lot of it is matching services that they claim to, uh, be able to best match. Well, that's a bells and whistles that our members, companies have in place in their own, internally. It, it, but but what happens where you, where you lose uh, the credibility of these organizations is where they're not providing any kind of guarantee of, of care or guarantee of quality. And that's the difference, I think. There's no accountability. You know, they'll tell you right on their website. So yeah. I, that's why I would really look at that. So I don't see, I see that unless they're providing some kind of accountability on par with member companies and putting together mm-hmm. all these uh, components, standards that, that, that our industry, our association has in place, they really can't compete until they say they can do very similar things. And then, then obviously they could be eligible to become a member company if they follow all the rules. Okay. You know, so, yeah. really. Okay. <laughs> so we opened up the show mentioning you've been with the organization, ACOA, about five and a half years. Uh, what we didn't mention is you're actually leaving the organization, and actually, by the time this episode is released, uh, you will no longer be with HCAOA. So, but I do know you're going to be in touch with HCAOA and its member. Or uh, you've built long-standing relationships. You're going to remain um, in healthcare. So, while you're departing, what is happening in the future here with HCAOA? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think this future is very bright. I mean, look at the statistics that are out there. Um, we have 10,000 seniors turning 65 every year. Uh, so people are, are needing this services in high demand. There are challenges though, um, great opportunities, but also challenges uh, that, you know, with um, uh, the availability of workers, you know, the demand is there uh, where we're gonna need to fill these uh, caregiver jobs. And you know, there's got to be some things done uh, politically uh, at the national level to really look at the immigration reform issue, for example. I know that um, there are a lot of concerns because we do have um, a population that's getting really, uh, it's not a political statement on the current uh, situation, but it's really we've got to have a pipeline in whatever way that works. And, and I know a lot of uh, the immig- uh, our immigrant population does uh, come into our industry, and we want to continue to have that opportunity for them. Definitely. What about affordability? 
um, how do we keep one-to-one care not just be for the rich and famous? Right. Do you have any thoughts there? Well, we actually, right, I think uh, the other, it goes back to our advocacy work uh, at the national level and some of the things that uh, HCOA is trying to pass. There is a bill in Congress right now that would allow home care services to be covered under uh, health savings accounts. So instead of that rolling over every year, or instead of it being limited to every year through uh, a flexible spending account, HSAs allow for money to roll over, so that money can be, you know, that investment. And I would just advise, we, we really have to partner with our financial partners, you know, from everything from, uh, I'm not going to give any particular plug to any company, but, yeah. you know, you have a number of resources out there where you have financial planners, you have, you know, for example, reverse mortgage uh, companies that are out there that are really doing a lot of great things to really make it creative to help finance. And so that affordability factor can be done if there's some planning done up front. Yeah, and just a quick note there for the folks that have been around and heard of the reverse mortgage term. Um, I do a lot of uh, education for nurses, social workers um, that need CE credit. And one of the things I touch on is reverse mortgages. We talk about affordability for home care. And you see a lot of cringes, especially folks that have been around, um, you know, in the early to mid-2000s when it wasn't regulated. And I just want to really quickly touch on that. My parents actually have a reverse mortgage. And some people look at me like, are you crazy? But I'll tell you what. I don't need an inheritance. I don't deserve their money. It's their money. If they want to give a little bit of that to the bank, which yes, the bank makes a little bit of profit, just like they do me with my mortgage, just like I do in my day job. My company makes profit, not for profits. We all make money, right? But the bank isn't ripping off my parents. They're providing a service that I feel is a fair value that allows them to stay in their home. It's heavily regulated. They had to go see a counselor that's regulated by the state and the government. So. Folks out there, sorry for my quick stance here. <laughs> that scary word, yeah, financially, it may not be the best investment if you want to make a bunch of money and give it to your kids, but if you want your parents to age in place and maybe they can't otherwise, don't be scared by that term. So forgive me for my little soapbox here, guys, but I get the cringe a lot. <laughs> well, there's, there's actually been a lot of research down here. Uh, it's not your father's reverse mortgage uh, uh, company anymore, it, it, and I, I would support Gavin what he just said. Uh, on, and, and there's other products, too, that are available, and, and actually the combination of ret- retirement planning, whether you have a 401k or whatever, with reverse mortgage, actually there's been some studies out that actually that combination actually is a, is a great formula uh, to really finance home care. Uh, the other opportunities, though, are really looking at the government. You know, um, right now under... Um, the Chronic Care Act a few years ago passed is now allowing the uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, which is uh, under the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, is actually created a Medicare Advantage program that now is covering uh, home care services. Uh, it's it's slow to you know it's it's an option by the MA the Medicare Advantage insurance uh, programs that now but CMS is now allowing them to offer uh, home care services. So that's developing right now as well. Awesome, Phil. Well, thanks so much for touching on that. So uh, for those of you out there, I'm guessing a lot of you, uh, most of our listeners are not in the home care industry, but they are in healthcare. So a lot of this information might be relatively new to you guys. I encourage you to stay in touch and keep tabs on the Home Care Association of America. For people that are not necessarily in the home care industry, Phil, but they want to stay up to date with what's 
write in the industry and, and what you guys are doing? Is there a newsletter or how can people yeah, stay we, in touch? Actually, we offer an associate membership to professionals now. Okay. Uh, so if you go to membership at hcaoa.org and inquire about that, it's, uh, it's for professionals like case managers, like social workers. We want them to be uh, informed on the differences in, in our models, for example, to go to safehomecare.org. Uh, these are all uh, opportunities that we can uh, certainly offer them uh, to, to be a member and to understand and be connected with the home care industry. Okay, awesome. Well, folks, Phil, buongiorno. That I buongiorno. Yes. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. In Italian. <laughs> yes, I always I've known a few buongiornos uh, before, and uh, I may mispronunciate it every time. But uh, really appreciate you coming in. We're recording again uh, in El Segundo, California, about a mile away from LAX. I know you're about to catch a flight back to D.C., so appreciate you waking up uh, bright and early my time, but probably not yeah, probably, bright. I'm, yeah, I'm still on Eastern time. I'm good. I <laughs> yeah. uh, appreciate you coming out uh, after your annual conference, which I heard was a big success. Yeah, biggest great. Turnout. Yeah, the largest conference uh, to date. We, had a we sold out our um, exhibit hall uh, six weeks in advance of the, of the show, and we actually we had to close our registration for the first time right? just a few days before because we really literally were at it like a, a, a fire marshal capacity, if you will, at the yeah. hotel. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your success in the last five and a half years. Best wishes. Um, if folks, uh, folks, again, hcaoa.org to stay in touch with Home Care Association of America. Phil Bongiorno uh, has been our guest. Phil is the executive director of the Home Care Association of America. Uh, Phil, any parting words for the audience? Well, I, I just think that uh, we appreciate everyone out there that supports home care. Uh, home care is the future. Um, you know, I think we have a great opportunity to serve our seniors, and this industry has been great, and it's going to continue to be great and to serve uh, and really help people, you know, as they say, age in place and really live, live out their lives uh, they, the way they want to. Awesome. Well, thanks, Phil, for some good parting words there. Folks, if you like today's show and want to hear more episodes of Pop Health Podcast, check us out at pophealthpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if I can ask a favor, if you're willing to leave a review, I'd be really grateful. Um, the reviews, especially on iTunes, help keep us visible, stay at the top of the charts, and therefore uh, allow us to bring in guests like Phil and some of the other uh, health plan leaders you recently heard on our mini-series, government officials, etc. So really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you'd like to reach out to me regarding the podcast, feel free to email info at pophealthpodcast.com. Thanks, folks. Take care.